The example Jesus uses of the divorcee is a stand-in for all of us. The divorcee is helpless before their sin. They cannot change this terrible and hurtful reality. But all of us are just as helpless before our sin. Whether that sin is moral, such as lying or drunkenness or greed, or that sin is expressed in the amoral things that simply happen to us, death, cancer, poverty, or something else, we are helpless to do anything about it. It is that helplessness which makes us childlike. It is that helplessness which renders us the sort of people to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs. God loves his whole creation and every part of it, including you. He hates to see it hurt, broken, dying, or in any way marred. Welcome to the Sand Hills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. I am Pastor John Edding. The title of the sermon on the 19th Sunday of Pentecost is, For the Kingdom of Heaven Belongs to Such as These. This is a sermon on Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. Thanks be to God. Let's get to the sermon. Is it lawful? This question has a good ring to it. Sad to say, though, the people who bear this good question come with a bad intent, uh, bad hearts filled with evil intent. They have come to test Jesus, to trip him up with words, and they're hoping to give him a test which will cause him to fall and fail. Show him to be a fool and do something that will result in a smirk as the crowds of people you know, walk away from Jesus, shaking their collective heads, saying, as they go, well, he's not as smart as we had hoped. He is not the leader we had thought. Well, the Pharisees who had, uh, they, they had attached the question about lawfulness to the problem of divorce. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, assuming that they knew the scriptures they already knew the answer to the question. I mean, divorce was alien to the original creation, which had one man and one woman. Polygamy, the book of Genesis shows, it, it describes but never prescribes polygamy because it is fraught with all kinds of problems. The Tenth Commandment explicitly condemns desire of uh, for any but your own wife. Nevertheless, after Israel's repeated sinning, God had, through Moses, allowed a provision for divorce, and that is Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. They made it, quote-unquote, legal in the narrowest sense of the term. John the Baptist, however, condemned Herod Antipas and you know how that went. Uh, he condemned uh, Herod, who divorced his wife and then married his brother's ex. And that condemnation cost John his head. The test for Jesus was this. If Jesus says no, then he falls into a trap of what Moses says in Deuteronomy 24.1. If he says yes, then he falls into immorality. And either way, Jesus 
would lose and the Pharisees would win. So, in order to combat this trap, Jesus takes them to the words of Genesis and then allows Scripture to interpret Scripture. And Jesus answers the question with a question, like he's so apt to do, right? He asks, what did Moses command you? And when they answered that he allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal, imagine, and divorce her, Jesus quickly notes that God permitted this law to come into existence because of the evil of all generations. It was because of your hearts. Your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. And then Jesus goes to the original blueprint for any laws about marriage relationship by reminding them and us that at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and the two became one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So by setting these words of Genesis in front of the Pharisees, our Lord was clearly showing them that when marriage was instituted, it was intended to last. So the Thursday Bible group got together this past week and wrestled with this difficult text. And someone said, and, and I often am blessed by the Bible study because it sound, it's a sounding board for me as well. Um, and it lets me know where people are at and how the text strikes them. And someone said it's better to sometimes take things head on. It's like the patient who has to hear the bad news from his doctor and he says, Doc, just give it to me straight. So let's take this issue head on. In the first and brutal part of today's text, Jesus addresses one of the great social ills of his day and ours, a problem which is so great we always want to justify it when it happens. Have you noticed that about divorce? We have to justify it. We want to make sure that you agree that it was the only option the marriage could not work as if understanding such a thing makes it hurt any less. Here's an example of self-justification. Uh, on September 30th, so just a few days ago, a mother of two children, Laura Bazelon, a, a law professor and a mother, wrote a guest essay in the New York Times entitled, Divorce Can Be a Radical Act of Self-Love. And she reported that there was no abuse in her marriage, no abuse by her husband. And she wrote, I divorced my husband not because I didn't love him. I divorced him because I loved myself more. Self-love? Well, give her credit for honesty. Jesus today calls it what it is, a sin, a serious sin. And he will accept none of the excuses we use to assuage our guilt. He just doesn't want to hear them. The fact of it is, is that divorce causes terrible damage upon his creation, and he grieves to see that. We have unfortunately confused his grief with anger and imagine that the magnitude of the sin has made it some sort of special sin which belongs in some special category 
of sin, as if it cannot really be forgiven. But nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus hates divorce because of what it does to people. It robs them of joy, darkens their lives. It makes it harder for them to love. It traps people in a pit from which they cannot escape from themselves. And this is the very reason that Jesus has come into the world because all of us are trapped in our sins, including the sin of divorce. And Jesus speaks of adultery here. The divorcee has committed adultery, and that sounds serious. And he said that word another time too. The man who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. Then just a few verses later, he says that I must be perfect as his father in heaven is perfect. And if your eye and my eye lingers on the model, the models in the swimsuit ad or the young woman who crosses the street in front of me, am I really numbered in that same crowd of sinners? Yes, it is so. I am just like, I'm just another one of them. And after telling us the story about the Pharisees and their question, Mark takes us to this tender scene of Jesus and the little children. And again, we find legalists on the scene, this time the disciples, who were sternly opposed when the little children came and Jesus became indignant at the naysayers. He said, let the little children come to me. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. These children are the sort of people to whom heaven belongs, not because they have not sinned, but because everything they have, they have by the gracious gift of someone else. They are needy. They are helpless. They cannot clothe themselves, help themselves, feed themselves, or anything else. They are incapable That is their primary attribute in the first century culture. The idea that children are innocent is deeply ingrained in our culture. We have so understood sin to be only moral, that of a moral agency or a decision-making process, that we cannot imagine that children are capable of real sin. And if sin is simply moral, then I too would say that a newborn infant has none of that. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And if sin is only moral, why do newborn children sometimes die? Did they do something wrong? No, the world is broken. And their brokenness has manifested in this tragic way, and they were helpless before it. The Pharisees of Jesus' day thought that innocence was what this was all about, and they were wrong. And so are we if we hold to it. The truth of it is Jesus came for sinners to save them, to rescue them. This is what Jesus says at the end of this chapter, chapter 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So how can Jesus sound so harsh and so gentle all in a span of 15 
short verses. Why does he seem to be so lacking in compassion for the divorcees and what makes those children the sort of people who receive his welcome and the very kingdom of God? Well, I believe the contrast between Jesus' words in the first 11 verses of this text and his deeds in the last verses is intentional. It's absolutely and profoundly intentional. Jesus doesn't want to hear the excuses. He knows that the divorcee is helpless before their pain. He cannot make it go away. He pushes the excuses aside so that he can take the sinner in his arms and give them the kingdom they do not deserve. And we want to think of divorce as a great moral evil. It is. But Jesus, however, sees that divorce has broken your heart. It has crushed your spirit. It is terrible and painful, and it destroys his creation. And we get so hung up. We can get so hung up on its naughtiness that we lose sight of the fact that the divorcee is a person who has endured terrible pain. Thus it is with all sin. We cannot get rid of it. Remember last week's lesson? Cut off your hand, you still have it, your sin. You cannot get rid of it. It clings to you and it sucks your life dry until you die. That's why Jesus came, for you, for all sinners, because sin is so destructive to his creation. The example Jesus uses of the divorcee is a stand-in for all of us. The divorcee is helpless before their sin. They cannot change this terrible and hurtful reality. But all of us are just as helpless before our sin. Whether that sin is moral, such as lying, or drunkenness, or greed, or that sin is expressed in the amoral things that simply happen to us. Death, cancer, poverty, or something else, just as we cannot stop the advance of time and the ravages that it works on our bodies. We cannot get a handle on this reality either. We are helpless to do anything about it. And it is this helplessness which makes us childlike. And with a childlike helpless, you and I, helplessness, you and I stand at the gates of, of the kingdom and ask, can I even enter into God's kingdom? And Jesus looks at you, his beloved child, and says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. He reaches out with the, his loving and tender, his loving hands, his tender smile to embrace you and, and me and every other sinner with his nail-pierced hands and arms that once stretched wide on the cross. So it is that helplessness which renders us the sort of people to whom the kingdom of God belongs. Jesus has not come because we got it right. He has come because we have not, because we have made a total mess of our families and our lives and eventually sin will kill us. Jesus is not so interested in the fact that we are naughty. He is far more interested in the fact that we are hurting. 
that we are crushed under our sin. And that, of course, means that we as instruments of God's love love that way too. People, or perhaps we need to think about that, but that is another sermon. In fact, it is the next sermon. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.